Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. As the opioid epidemic continues to evolve in our country, one side effect is echoing throughout corporate America. There just aren't enough people who can pass a drug test to fill all the job openings. Belden, a company in Richmond, Indiana, came up with an innovative solution to the problem, offer drug treatment to applicants who fail their drug tests. Joining me today to talk about that program are Doug Brennecke, the Vice President of R&D, and Leah Tate, the Vice President of Human Resources, both from Belden, an electronic wire manufacturer who introduced this new program offering free treatment for qualified applicants known as Pathways to Employment six months ago. We begin today with the soundtrack from the YouTube video Belden produced to introduce the program to stakeholders. We have all witnessed the devastating impact that increasing levels of addiction has had on our community and area. From a Belden perspective, we have seen the impact on the available workforce, particularly within the manufacturing area. We viewed this as an opportunity to take a leadership position on this issue and a potential means to expand the area workforce pool. We are proud to be a part of a great team of professionals that see the same opportunity for breakthrough results that we see in this pilot program. What I like about this program is it offers hope, kindness, opportunity. These are individuals who have met the minimum requirement of education. They have the skills, or they at least they have the skill set to be trained to do the job. These are people who fill the drug screen, and we want to give them support. We want to give them education to take them away from that destructive behavior. We want them to realize the benefits and rewards of working for a company like Belden. Meridian Health Services believes in whole person health. Therefore, when Belden approached us about providing a second chance for those employees that failed a pre-employment drug screen, we saw this as an opportunity to collaborate and address the unique needs of our community and create positive changes. Centerstone has been providing behavioral health care in Richmond for over 60 years. And as a provider, we're fully aware that people with substance use disorders have a difficult time attaining and maintaining a livable wage. So when we were approached about this initiative, we were more than eager to get on board because it aligns completely with our employment solutions plan. Ivy Tech is committed to putting more community into community college. We are excited about this initiative and the opportunity to provide a clear path to recovery, education, and employment. Here's to changing lives and making Indiana great. So can you take a minute to introduce our listeners to Belden, to what it is that you do, and then describe the impact of the opioid epidemic and the impact really that it's had on filling open positions? Sure, be happy to. So Belden is a company that has been around for over 100 years. We were formed in 1902, and we've been part of the Richmond, Indiana community for 90 years. So we built a factory here in 1928. And so uh, we've got a longstanding history in the community. And uh, as you pointed out in your introduction, uh, one observation that we've had over the last several years is a dramatic increase on the number of failed drug screens that have been occurring 
primarily for our manufacturing-related positions. And uh, so we got together a team and, and tried to come up with an innovative approach that doesn't uh, uh, exclude individuals that fail a screen from potential employment at Belden. But how did you come up with the idea of offering and actually funding, that's the big part, funding qualified applicants for treatment? Yeah, so it was really a commitment from the top down. So as we describe the challenges that we had, particularly when we were trying to scale up operations over the last couple of years in, in Richmond uh, on obtaining the number of associates we needed in manufacturing, we conveyed those challenges and particularly the, uh, uh, the drug screen failure rate increases to senior management. And so uh, they actually, uh, we have a board member uh, who is uh, an acquaintance of Dr. Rosenthal and he suggested that, you know, he didn't have any silver bullets uh, by any stretch of uh, the imagination, but would be willing to come out to Richmond, meet with community leaders and business leaders, and just brainstorm to see if we could come up with an innovative approach to uh, this issue. So it was really a, a top-down approach uh, supported by senior management. And as you mentioned, from a cost perspective, uh, we felt at this stage that uh, the costs uh, the benefits were going to outweigh the cost, both in the short term and the long term, given uh, our need for uh, uh, for employees uh, over the long haul. So, um, so that initial meeting took place uh, last September and kind of spawned a, a smaller core team uh, of uh, folks from Belden, um, uh, along with Mitch, and then uh, uh, service providers in the area that specialize in uh, in uh, uh, substance use addiction treatment uh, because we had no experience in this area and really depended on the service providers to give us guidance uh, as we as we move forward with a pilot program that actually launched in February. So, you know, at this point, we're, we're, we've agreed as a company to, uh, uh, to support the funding for this program. Uh, and, you know, we think it's the right thing to do, uh, both from a corporate citizenship perspective, uh, as well as uh, from a business need perspective uh, moving forward. So it all started with your discussion with upper management, and, and you talked about the failure rate. What was the failure rate that you shared with them of the drug tests of your applicants? Sure. So in, in the past, we had seen uh, uh, screen failure rates uh and I guess just to back up one step, so our, our model is basically a temporary to permanent uh, model. And so we use uh, a, a temporary agency manpower basically to, uh, to screen applicants on the front end. And um, so individuals will start off basically as, a, as an employee of manpower and go through training uh, uh, within our facility. And uh, after a, uh, a period of time, say three to six months, uh, if uh, we deem that that uh, uh, potential employee is uh, a good fit, uh, we would then convert that uh, associate to a, uh, a permanent employee. So in our process, uh, we have a screen that is a hair follicle screen that takes place at the initial screening uh, by manpower. Speak um, to that for just one second, if you could, Doug. Sure. But the hair follicle screen... Why that versus this typical urine test? Because the hair follicle is going to be much more uh, expensive, certainly. It, it, it is higher in cost, but uh, with our 
particular environment, we place a heavy emphasis on safety. And with the hair follicle test, it actually uh, looks back farther than a typical uh, urine screen. So uh, we felt basically to get the, uh, the best profile of an individual that the, uh, the hair follicle test is important for us from a safety perspective. Yeah, I think those look back about 30 days, don't they? Uh, at a minimum, and in yeah. some cases, uh, depending on the substance, uh, from, from what we're told, uh, potentially even farther than that. Okay, so pretty thorough, elaborate test. It is, it is, and uh, again, for our environment, we just, uh, as we talked about it as a team, uh, both from a senior leadership perspective and a plant management perspective, uh, what we felt was critical was that we did not want to uh, turn a blind eye or, or make any uh, shortcuts in terms of what we were doing from a screening perspective. So um, when I mentioned that, that fallout rate of, of roughly 5% uh, at the initial screen, uh, we had seen that rate basically triple uh, over the last 18 months. And that's really what raised alarms from a, uh, both from a, a manufacturing plant perspective as well as senior management is uh, the problem was getting much worse, not better. And our need for associates was, uh, was increasing, not decreasing. So we really had kind of a crisis situation that led us to looking at, uh, you know, we're basically excluding people if they fail a screen. Is there a way to come up with a program where we don't uh, eliminate those uh, individuals from potential employment? And that's really what spawned the pilot. So your historical rate, fail rate that is, was 5% and it escalated to 15%. Is that about right? That's about right, Greg. Okay. Joining me now is Leah Tate. Leah is Belden's Vice President of Human Resources. So, Leah, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, earlier, we talked to uh, Doug Brennick, and he told us about the origins of the Pathways to Employment program. As the Vice President of Human Resources, you and your team collaborated on developing this program. So, speak to your role in the process. Sure. So I would say my role in the process has been to help really facilitate uh, the development of the program. So coordinating, getting all of our uh, partners together, as well as the folks from the Belden team, as we've gone through the creation, development, and now launch of the program, and now it's more of a, a monitoring it and understanding what's working well, and maybe as we, um, learning as we go, what we need to tweak and improve with the program. So I know going in, you had some real concerns about the costs. So what did you do to mitigate that exposure? Yeah, so concerns around the cost, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, we weren't sure exactly what the costs would be. As we embarked on the program, we tried to partner with uh, or understand from our treatment providing partners what the cost of treatment would be like, understand as we went through um, looking at the ongoing drug screening, what the cost of drug screening would be. But we've learned as we've gone through that there are additional costs um, to operate a program like this. Like you may end up with people that have challenges getting to treatment, so looking to understand what uh, is available out in the from a grant standpoint to help them with transportation. And we also didn't realize or think about that we are would be carrying additional headcount in the plant as we don't put them directly working on machines. We put them in safety-conscious roles. So those were things we thought about. We also had conversations with the treatment providers about um, how, where we can, what opportunities there are to um, get them access to insurance 
providers and coverage, um, and what you know state and local funds are available to tr- to help offset some of those costs. So you went in, into this process thinking about okay, we're going to cover treatment, get them rolling with treatment, and then what you learned as you waded into it a little bit deeper, there were more hurdles that you needed to address to help these uh, potential employees be successful. That's right. You, you, you think about just the basic cost of treatment and drug screening. We didn't, you don't think about the cost of, you know, additional headcount in the plant and, and what the wraparound services that are required in a program like this. So when you went into the program, I guess it's been up and rolling for about six months now. Um, can you share what your thoughts were in terms of projected, and it might be too early for this, but projected versus actual costs? Yeah, I think we're still getting our arms around actual costs, and it's, um, but projected cost, we thought it would be about $5,000 per per participant. Uh, I think as we think about those additional costs, we're really trying to understand what costs look like. Um, it varies depending on when they enter the program, they're assessed and determine if they're high probability or low probability of a substance use disorder. And the costs vary pretty drastically depending on whether they're high probability or low probability. Um, somebody that's low probability has, you know, fewer tr- fewer treatment requirements. They We do fewer dr- um, drug screens with them. We also put them in safety conscious jobs for a shorter period of time. I think we are seeing more uh, recently that are falling into the high probability category, which will have um, higher costs. So when we when we got to the $5,000 estimate, we assumed 25% would be uh, high probability and 75% of those that went through the program would be low probability. And I think at this point, we are seeing those numbers be slightly higher on the high probability side. So um, from a cost standpoint, I do think you know, with the $5,000 number, we didn't consider the other costs. We also um, are seeing a higher number in that high probability category. Next, Doug broke down the process for us. So an individual that uh, uh, that fails a screen, basically we would uh, refer them to a local uh, provider of services for substance use disorder. And so we've got a couple partners, uh, Meridian uh, Health Systems, uh, and Centerstone uh, of Indiana that are specialists in this area, and we really depend on them to come up with a individual uh, program that's specifically tailored to that individual's needs. And we're actually, uh, we categorize those individuals based on feedback from those providers into a, a low probability for substance use disorder or a high probability for substance use disorder. And depending on that category, it really determines basically the path forward uh, in the program. Um, Low probability, it may be as uh, simple as uh, a few meetings and counseling, uh, and then that individual will be back uh, uh, for a a role within the company. And then if if it's a high probability individual, uh, it's uh, uh, typically a longer, uh, more extensive uh, program. It may involve either inpatient or, or outpatient services. Uh, but And then uh, the ongoing screening for those individuals, uh, depending on whether they're low probability or high probability of, of substance use disorder, um, that determination, it, it really determines the, uh, the random screening period that takes place uh, after the individual is back employed uh, with Belton. Help me with the low probability and the high probability, because they've uh, flunked the drug test, 
And yes. now you make arrangements to put them into treatment. So at that point, they're all struggling with substance use disorder. So are we really talking about their probability of relapse here? It could be either uh, relapse or, uh, you know, we, we may have an individual that, uh, uh, you know, had circumstances basically where the, uh, the specialist truly does believe that this was a one-time issue, uh, does not see a, a high probability for recurring uh, issues, and, and so uh, that determination basically, we, we leave that up to kind of the subject matter experts and uh, you know, if they are deemed low probability, then then uh, the, the treatment is probably less extensive than, than somebody that has, you know, openly struggled with addiction or um, uh, the term determination has been made that, that this individual is likely to do so. So we really have had individuals in both camps, and, and the treatment program may look a little bit different for uh, for individuals based on that determination. Next. Doug talked about how many people have gone through the program in the first six months. We actually launched the pilot uh, in February uh, of this year, uh, and so far we've had 17 individuals that have uh, entered the program. Uh, we have six that have successfully um, uh, made it through their uh, prescribed treatment and are back actively working within our uh, manufacturing facility. And then uh, the balance uh, are in some stage of uh, uh, their recovery and treatment program. Um, and uh, we have had one individual that has voluntarily dropped out of the program. So, uh, so again, 17 individuals total, six of which have successfully uh, made it through, uh, uh, through treatment and have uh, started back with us. How long did their treatment, for the most part, last for these people that made it through treatment? So uh, uh, I think the shortest is a couple weeks. Uh, the longest is, uh, 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 for those that have successfully made it through, is six weeks. Uh, and then we do have individuals that are still in treatment uh, at this point. Right. And then once they exited treatment, we do randomly screen those individuals uh, at an approximate uh, two-week uh, interval. And depending on, again, if I go back to that assessment of low probability or high probability of substance use disorder, the prescribed random screening period is shorter for individuals uh, that are deemed low probability and longer uh, for random screening for those that were deemed a high probability for, uh, for substance use disorder. So we're using kind of that determination to... Um, uh, to make a, an assessment on how long random screens will continue once they've rejoined the workforce. Leah talked about how they addressed the program and any concerns in the community before its launch. We, when we launched the program, we were a bit concerned about, obviously, the reaction of the community, but we were very concerned about the reaction of our employees. And we hosted town hall meetings um, prior to launching because we didn't want our employees to hear about the program from someone from somewhere else. We wanted them to hear about it from us and understand why we were embarking on this program. And we weren't sure what their reaction was going to be, and it's been fantastic. Um, we've had, uh, in those meetings, we had people, um, had a great reaction, and a couple of them we had people applaud, um, come, up, come up afterwards and say how proud they were to work for a company that was willing to do something like this. Um, but it's not all, I would say, uh, you know, great feedback. You do have some people that have been, that were skeptical. Um, we even had um, 
someone who is in a leadership position question what we were um, doing and they weren't sure uh, how it was going to react, how, how the program was going to play out, who's since come forward and said that they were wrong and they've seen um, certain employees come into the plant through the program and how successful they've been able to be. I think they're appreciative of the second chance and it makes them that much more dedicated. Next, Leah talks about lessons learned and advice for others doing similar programs. Yeah, I think, you know, no company, no jobs, no, um, none are created equal. So they have to um, figure out what works for them. They may staff differently. They may have different needs as far as they may not have uh, machines that are as risky as as, uh, we have. They may not be as safety conscious as we want to be with those machines. But be open to new ideas and and new ways of thinking. Um, Rely and trust uh, the treatment providers, they're the experts. We, claim, we don't claim at all to be treatment provider, to provider experts, but, you know, be open um, and, you know, take the risk of trying something new. I think, um, we, like I said, we rely on them and their expertise, but we kind of, you know, you can be too hesitant, and I think we uh, got in the planning mode. We planned for months and at some point we said, you know what, we need to launch something. It's not going to be perfect, but we'll learn as we go. Um, We'll make sure we have the right framework so that we're not putting our employees or um, our existing employees or the new employees at risk, but we can um, tweak as we go. And so, you know, don't be too cautious as trying to make sure you have the perfect um, solution. Um, Go forward, find good partners and, and try to make an impact in your community. Next, Doug shares the numbers on those who have made the transition to full-time. Yeah, so we, we do have a couple of individuals that have uh, kind of gone uh, all the way through the program. And so, uh, uh, so again, it's, it's a limited number at this point, but uh, uh, based on feedback both from the individuals, uh, those that are uh, working in the factory and, and our, our service provided, uh, provider partners, uh, we're, we're encouraged by the feedback on all fronts. So I know that you're still in the early stages of this pro- this overall program, um, but can you give us a comment in terms of how you think that this has impacted your business, other than just the numbers there, and what your hopes are for its long-term impact on the business? I think from our perspective, uh, when we went into this, uh, really as we heard feedback, uh, particularly from uh, the uh, subject matter experts and service providers, uh, the consistent theme was that a key component of recovery is for individuals to uh, basically see that light at the end of the tunnel where they can uh, envision themselves with full-time employment, uh, being successful with support uh, in terms of their recovery, and having that, that uh, I guess, uh, uh, support system around them uh, to be successful long term. And so when we listened to that feedback, we felt that we could provide basically, uh, uh, you know, a component of that uh, of that support net. And uh, again, one of our concerns was the reaction we were going to get from our existing associates because, uh, again, it's not only uh, uh, potential for safety-related issues for the employee themselves, but those around them. And so we wanted to make sure we conveyed to our existing associates that, 
you know, we are not sacrificing on safety within the facility uh, and that you can be fully confident that those around you uh, are indeed, uh, um, you know, fully compliant with the program and uh, substance-free uh, when they're back with us. And so all the key stakeholders, uh, you know, we, we are encouraged uh, by what we've seen thus far. And those that have given us feedback that are actually in the program uh, have said, you know, basically that, that this is uh, a program that, uh, you know, uh, otherwise, uh, they may not have a, a position out there in, in full-time employment. Uh, otherwise, and so um, you know, for for those reasons, we're we're pretty encouraged by uh, uh, the feedback from all the stakeholders. Next, Doug talks about some of the success stories from the program. Yeah, so uh, there are some specific individuals, basically, that uh, you know we keep it anonymous uh, for those individuals, obviously for privacy reasons. Absolutely. Uh, there are some that uh, are not comfortable talking to others about it, but there are others that uh, are very open and willing to not only talk to their peers, but others about that. And they've been, uh, you know, very uh, supportive in terms of what this means uh, to them and, and their families. And so, you know, we've also had individuals in the facility that have uh, lost uh, loved ones or friends to, uh, to uh, substance uh, addictions. And so uh, they've raised their hand and said, I'd like to be a peer, a buddy for individuals that are willing or want somebody uh, to, to be supportive for them. And so, um, you know, we've had with, with those individuals, uh, you know, very touching stories about how it's impacted their lives and, and what the potential of, of this program might mean for, uh, for others out there. So it's, again, I think getting uh, folks to talk about uh, the problem, not sweep it under the rug, and, and uh, uh, to basically lay out uh, a pathway for success. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, encouraged even though it's early in the process, but uh, what we've seen thus far is, is uh, certainly uh, uh, encouraging from our, our, our perspective. Doug, what advice would you offer other businesses that today find themselves in the same situation you were, facing the same struggles? finding enough people who can pass a drug test to fill their available openings? I guess my thought would be go into it with an open mind. Uh, you know, I knew zero about this uh, uh, when I started down uh, uh, the, this uh, uh, journey uh, a year ago, roughly. And so we knew that if we kept basically our same process in place, uh, uh, that we weren't going to be able to fulfill the uh, the roles that we have moving forward, and so uh, you know it was. Uh, there were a lot of times when we had our our small small core team together that you know, does this program make sense? Uh, there's a lot of reasons maybe not to do it, but we felt the reasons to move forward were uh, were more important than those of not moving forward. So I would say go into it with an open mind, and uh, if your current process of of bringing on new associates isn't working, then it's probably time to take a new, fresh look at the process and perhaps see if there's um, a variation or something like this that, that you can make work for your own situation. We've been joined today by Doug Brennecke, the Vice President of R&D, and Leah Tate, the Vice President of Human Resources at Belden, an electrical wire manufacturer in Richmond, Indiana, who introduced a new program this year that offers free treatment for qualified applicants. The program, known as Pathways to Employment, began six months ago and is already making a difference in the workforce at Belden. Tune in for our next episode, 
where we'll talk with Dr. Mitch Rosenthal, an addiction specialist who helped design Belden's Pathways to Employment program. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.